It's too much salami. I can't handle all this salami. Hi, welcome to Ohio's Finest, Ben and Jeremy's. I'm Ben and Zatari. We're here with our episode number two. And uh, first of all, we just wanted to say, you know, how excited we are for the feedback that we got from everybody and the support that we got from everybody. Uh, to be honest, I don't think Jeremy nor I expected as many downloads and as much interaction that we got. And, you know, for that, we're really happy. But one thing that we did realize is that we both have our own sides and that Jeremy has a lot of friends that listen that don't that may not know me and I have a lot of friends that may not know Jeremy so I wanted to take a moment to introduce ourselves to either side of the aisle. My name is Ben Inzatari. I uh, met Jeremy uh, when we started our freshman year at Miami University. We both lived on the same floor. Um, before we started college I saw that his profile picture was him pitching and uh, I, I was a catcher in high school and I wanted to try out for the club baseball team. So I messaged him, hey, maybe you want to throw a bullpen or two. And then I did. And then he said, yeah, sure. And then kind of speaking for myself, I don't think we ever really thought much of that. And then moving, we kind of like, oh, you're, you're you. And you're like, oh, yeah. So then we started talking, hanging out, had a lot of fun. And then that's just how we really got to know each other. We both loved the baseball aspect of things. And uh, it just became a lot of fun. Now, to give ourselves a little credibility, I'll explain who Jeremy is uh, and why when he says things, you should listen or you can listen and make your own opinions. Jeremy, for four years at Miami University, worked in the athletic department. I mean, he started, you know, basic bottom stuff, doing paperwork, and then he moved all his way up to doing photo shoots, to organizing press conferences, to running press conferences. And he got to work a lot with the Miami University brand. And he got to work the communication, the social media. And he coupled that two years ago into becoming a a director of the social media and communications in the Power Five. And he's been excellent with it. He does women's college soccer for Texas Tech. And he also does the track and field for Texas Tech. Now, these two are both powerhouses in their respective teams and their respective leagues. The women's tech and Texas Tech team is constantly ranked in the top 25, and they're always a perennial to go deep in uh, the national championship tournament. And in his first year there, the track and field team won the national championship. So he has the experience and um, going through and taking a team and putting it to the highest level of his respective sport in the college media landscape. And whether that's, you know, making awesome hype videos, whether that is taking all the photographs, interviewing the players. I mean, he is so good at the brand management of whatever he's doing in start of the sports. And he's got that insight. Uh, Jeremy also for two summers worked as an intern for the Toledo Mudheads. And he did a lot of that same stuff. And he was really, really good at it. And he knows how to market and how to present the sports to the to the average fan. And Ben is about to start his first year as a full-time accountant with a company in Columbus, Ohio. He's currently studying for the CPA. And Ben was right. We got to know each other pretty well at Miami, got into a lot of shenanigans. Um, but what I quickly realized is that Ben is a more or less a walking sports encyclopedia. He's very current on what's going on in the sports landscape. He's very good with statistics and sports history. And he's the type of kid that 
would be sitting there wowing everybody as he recounts the Heisman Trophy winners back to however many decades ago, year by year. And he was also a semifinalist on Sports Jeopardy. So he was one round away from making it onto the TV show. He went through all of the online testing and competitions. And what he brings is looking at it from a business sense. So with me being more of a brand manager and working in social media and PR, Ben adds the perspective where I might not have it of a front office business side of decision-making and a way of looking at things. And that's very valuable, obviously, because sports is a business from the pros to college to high school sports now. And so it's, it's important to have that perspective. And where I can't offer that perspective, Ben comes in with it. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the start, the beginning of the baseball season, uh, the yips, and of course, just whatever happened to us during the week. Welcome to episode two. So I have a story that I have been waiting all week to tell you. I cannot wait. There's something extremely complicated with the number one third, apparently, because the people at the Walmart deli cannot figure it out. (laughs) I go to the Walmart deli like two weeks ago. I go in there and I get like a third of a pound of salami. And I tell the guy, I'm I'm on the phone. It's not enough salami. It's not enough salami. <laughs> You're right. But I, well, here's the thing is I, I got plenty of salami this week. <laughs> I, <laughs> I asked <laughs> I ask the, the guy working, I asked yeah. him, like, can I get a third, of, a third of a pound of this salami? And he like looks at me and he's like, one quarter? And I was like, no, like <laughs> one third. And he's like, he completely blank expression on his face. And he looks at me and he's like, what is that? in decimal form (laughs) (laughs) excuse me uh (laughs) 0.33 so this week i go back there that guy's not there it's a woman instead and she asks me how much do you want i said one third of a pound and she's like okay um like half a pound and i'm like (laughs) no one third <laughs> and she's like oh okay and she goes back and so she's she's slicing it i turn for like 30 seconds to look at like some of the fresh baked bread i turn back around and she's putting it on the scale and there's a full pound and i'm like <laughs> full pound <laughs> no i don't want a half pound she just stopped listening when i said one you know she it was like i said one third <laughs> no, I, I heard one pound. <laughs> and she puts it on and it says like 0.94. And I'm like, what? And then she like turns around to go back to like even it up to one pound. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's no, it's not how much it was. <laughs> it's too much salami. I can't handle all this salami. <laughs> they they uh they just do not understand fractions not let alone that they like give it to me in the decimal and i might understand you well, might <laughs> the mishearing mishearing uh the one pound was something but getting asked what one third in decimal form means was unbelievable i, I could not like, fathom that question i sat there for like five seconds without even saying anything. i'm like 
what? <laughs> I, 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 the only closest thing to a deadly story that I've had, and this happened like a year ago or so. And like, I, I, again, I worked in a sandwich shop where they sliced meat in the back. And I know that it's like incremental. Like you can really fiddle with it and get in between, but there's like you, a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, a six. Is this the one that you berated customers at? Uh, no, I, did, I berated the rest of my, the other employees. I didn't break customers. Oh. I berated my boss. I berated my boss. Oh, you're the, he's the one that you said like every day, fire me, please. Fire yeah, me. yeah. Oh no, I begged him to fire me. Begged him. Give me a reason not to come here. Please, please fire me. He, like again, he'd just be, he'd be like, he'd be like, hey Ben, can you go uh, sweep up the back? I'd be like, no, Alex, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, excuse me. I'm like, no. I, I mean, I still did it, but I like. For about 30 seconds there, there was a stare down. <laughs> Until you realize but, that you, you lost this one and you just have to go at him again. Oh, no. No, no, no. I won. No, I won. He went to go sweep it up. And I was like, Alex, no. Get, like, <laughs> give me the brew. I'll do it. Oh, he, <laughs> no. he was going to sweep it no, up. He's right. He was going to go sweep it up. <laughs> you told him no. You told your boss no. And he's going to go do it. <laughs> yeah. You volunteered just, to you, go through it. That you absolutely was, won. <laughs> oh, yeah. I alphaed him. And I was just like, no, Alex, I, 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 dude, I'm joking. Like, of course I can go sweep that up. It's not a big deal. But one time I, I'm at the, the deli and I asked, I was like, I like my salami really, really thin. And then I, because I go up there, I'm like, hey, can I get like whatever, a half pound of salami as thin as you could possibly go? And he brings it out and it's like it's thin, but it's not really, really thin. I go, Oh, is that your lowest setting? He goes, oh, you wanted the like, lowest. Like, you wanted thin, thin. I go, that's what thinnest means. The most thin. <laughs> People at delis are just so interesting. So yeah. interesting. <laughs> okay, all right. Do we, want to get, do we want to get into the baseball, or do we want to talk about Scientology? Oh. <laughs> uh, the, we will get to the baseball. I want to hear Scientology, though. <laughs> So <laughs> there's not a lot except for when I was driving to go put my car in the body shop. Um, I passed two buildings right next to each other. And I thought I passed the first one thinking, oh, that's interesting. And then I double taked and I saw the second building. The first building was a sign outside that just said Oregon Law. Oregon Law. Oregon Law. Like, okay. And then the next building over was Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> so those are related in some way. Can't. So then I look up what Oregon law does. They do business litigation. I don't know what that means, but that they are they are in cahoots with the Scientologists. That's the front for something without a doubt. And I really want to. Have you seen the South Park episode with the? Where they go in and they grab the they like meter and they like you grab these bars and they test you for like I don't know something that they make up and they're like oh you have a lot of these we need to help clean you I really want to go get tested. <laughs> Do they? Um, so Oregon Law was the name of the company. That was the law firm next to the Scientology building. Yes, it was. So I I thought when you said Oregon, I thought like. Lloyd human tissue yeah organ cases <laughs> yeah that's what i thought too and it's just the name of the company the name of the law it's firm. the name of the guy it might be both i 
I don't know. What I, I don't know the history behind the, the, the guys. The, the guy. Sometimes names and professions just line up too well. <laughs> exactly. Like the Undertaker in wrestling. He just happened to also be. <laughs> like, it's incredible. He was born with that name, and then he became an Undertaker. <laughs> We know why he's so successful. I mean, it's, again, name recognition matters. Okay. <laughs> so, I like, I kind because honest to God, I think that if I went to a Scientology meeting, you give me two and a half years and I will be the leader. <laughs> <laughs> I will have Tom Cruise on speed dial. I think, I think I could apply that reasoning for you and any cult of any kind. <laughs> I, I can't see you joining any sort of cult and being a member. <laughs> I can't see you not in a leadership position. <laughs> what did Creed Bratton say? He said, uh, you have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. Yes. <laughs> and in, I've been in many cults. that you would use. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now that we have the Delhi and Scientology out of the way. This looks like it's going to be the official fan podcast of the Seattle Kraken from now on. Uh, yes, number two, Red Wings, and then number two, Seattle Kraken. Uh, I, mean, I just loved the video. I loved everything that they announced. I thought it was just perfect one. It was perfectly Seattle, and then perfectly this next step of the future, what I believe would be successful of the future of marketing towards the younger fan. Oh, yeah, and I think what they did, I mean, aside from just – all of the content they put out on social media, all of it was phenomenal. Um, aside from that, though, I think it goes to the name itself helps it be that successful of an announcement because I was reading, you know, some articles and whatnot. They crowdsourced, they've been crowdsourcing name ideas for like three or five years now. They, even before it was announced that they were even obtaining a team, they were already gathering ideas. Yep. And they, they worked with like as much as 120,000 people on the initial one. And then they were focus grouping throughout the city. Um, I think they captured, like you said, they captured the city so well. And here's what I think is extremely successful about the name Kraken is because I saw some criticisms. Um, of course, there weren't many because it's such a badass name and logo and color scheme. Um, but some of the criticisms were a Kraken is – it's it's not real. Like, what if what if it was something that's more more concretely Seattle? That was one of the criticisms. But what I think will make them so successful with that name and merchandise and just fan identity is the way you announced it and the way that you pitched this team is we are Seattle's team. But the logo is so cool. The color scheme is so cool. People from all over are going to want to own those hats and those jerseys and those shirts. Like I. I, I give it one month before I go online and order a Kraken hat. It's just so cool. And so the announcement is the initial attention grabber. And you've got to come across as a Seattle-based, this is our city. We've got the NHL back in Seattle. We're ready to play. We're ready to win. you got to capture the city like that. But they also chose a name that's going to attract fans from all over just because they're going to think it's so cool. It's so fresh. It's so, you know, 
it's so cool to be a Kraken fan, just like just like the Golden Knights did. Yeah, oh, one hundred percent. They chose something that's very Vegas, but at the same time, it's something that all these people can feel like they can identify with. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of uh, I think a lot of expansion teams in a bunch of different sports are taking that route where they're going to be extremely locally uh, based with their identity, but they're going to be choosing logos and names that are going to be attention grabbing still for people anywhere. Yeah. And then I'm going to first say, as long as they don't start throwing an octopus on the ice, like the, like the red wings do, I'm fine. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it's an excellent name. I think it's a cool name. Um, I saw today that they partnered with Kraken rum to be their official drink of the Seattle Kraken. I just think that that's awesome. I mean, there's just so many puns and there's so many things that you can do with Kraken. Um, and you said earlier, you said there weren't many people opposed to it. I did a quick little Google search and of course, of course. Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon were both vehemently hated it. <laughs> both of them combined age of about 190. Um, it's just, that's just what it is. I mean, these old, old guys are like, oh, this stinks. And it's like, no, this is cool. The video was cool. The concept is cool. The colors, those are colors that you don't see in professional sports. I mean, you might see them in like the premier league lacrosse but you don't see them in the big four which is like the turquoise and all that but at the same time you also don't see neon green with seattle um uh, the seahawks it's just i think the color scheme works i think the way that they they announced it worked um and i think they also got pretty darn lucky that they got to announce at the same time when the redskins were eliminating their name so it was right around the same time where you have the debacle that is the Washington Redskins. And now you have this Seattle Kraken, which is, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I don't think it could have gone any better. Yeah. Hey, that's a good point. Um, because you do have a lot of people that are looking to support sports franchises that they might not normally support. Um, because maybe they're feeling like they can't identify with a team or they can't support a team based on their name or, you know, the Redskins goes even deeper than the name. They're their organization, you know, ownership is just poor. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. We're searching for teams that they can identify with and new teams that they can pick up and root for. And here's something that's, that I, that I read once that I thought was the coolest thing. Um, and it fits perfectly with something like the Kraken because I was planning my trip to Dublin. Right. And I was like, I was like, does Ireland have a uh, pro league there for soccer? Like maybe I would want to go see a game. So I was looking at this, I found this article for one of the teams and one of the owners said the biggest thing about fans from this millennial generation, right? Is that they want to search for niche things. They want to search for niche interests. And when they find one and they attach to it, they are passionate. And Mm -hmm. in that sense, they were talking about the pro league in Ireland because you people in Ireland don't watch their pro leagues. They watch the premier league in England. Yeah, of so they won't go to the Irish Pro League and they'll stay home and watch the games in England. But there's a re- there's a revival of that league because all these millennials are getting into it and they serve craft beer there. They serve, you know, wide variety of concessions, which is what's happening here in America because people want niche interests and they are going. Oh, yeah. To, when they attach themselves to them, 
they're going to be passionate about it. And so that's the whole premise of something like the Kraken of that's why the Kraken has such a huge following. That's why the golden Knights had such a huge following is because people are like, that's the new thing. That's a niche team. It's the up and coming team, the underdogs. And when people attach themselves to that, they're passionate and they're, and they're very attached to it and they will root for them. No, I agree. And in Seattle, I mean, they've been just begging for more sports. I mean, with the whole NBA, they've been begging. Uh, now, the, the question is, that always is, is because Seattle is one of those cities that begs and begs and begs for this stuff, but they don't actually support it. Uh, the, set, the Supersonics had no support. The Seattle Mariners, I don't know if you watch on YouTube, um, SB Nation did a multiple-part series about the Mariners. They're never supported. Nobody ever supports the Mariners. They never supported the Supersonics. They support the Seahawks, yes, but there's just no support. They, they, I mean, the, Seattle is a, is a city that they want, they want, they want, they want, but they never use. And that's something I wonder if that's going to happen. Uh, Seattle, I think, I believe they've already lost an NHL team. I believe they had one because I think that the Vancouver Canucks were rivals with them, and they lost the team. No one supported it. And, I mean, I wonder if all this this Microsoft and Amazon money that's, you know, flooded Seattle, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, we haven't had the, we didn't really have the Amazon money when, see, the Supersonics left. I wonder if that's going to change uh, the sports fandom. I know that I believe Amazon is the partner or the sponsor for the Kraken Arena. Is that going to change anything? Is that, because I think, I mean, when you have that much money from a company like Amazon flowing into your city, it changes the culture of the city. Is that going to change the sports fandom from a team that wants that uh, and doesn't deliver to a team that can deliver? or a fandom that can deliver, excuse me. Yeah, and I hope it does. Like you said, um, they they have a team back, and maybe the second time around, that team experiences support, and that team is consistently supported. And if it is, then all the more power to them. It's kind of like with the, with the Golden Knights. I watched um, some interviews with their ownership group, and they were saying, look, it's awesome that, you know, we want tourists, obviously, to come to our games. But at the end of the day, we want local support. We want consistent mm -hmm. local support because if they wanted to, as a team, they could entirely focus on grabbing those tourists because people could go to Vegas. And again, if you're going to Vegas, it's likely for the casinos. It's likely for the resorts. But people will still want to go check out this niche hockey team, especially when they're winning. Oh, um, yeah. But they are not doing that. They're moving their ticket resources to season tickets. And mm -hmm. the owner was like, look, a lot of people don't think about this, but Vegas has an extremely large suburb population. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It's a this big is, city. Yeah. He's like, this is not a tourist. This is a tourist city. But he's like, outside of that, once you get past the tourism, this is a community. It's a family mm -hmm. community. And we want that support. We want that support that will be the foundation of this club. We want to sell as many season tickets, and we want the Vegas team to truly be a Vegas team. And yeah. if Seattle can do that, and Seattle can get that consistent foundation of support, then they'll be set up well. Yeah, because the most lucrative thing from a business standpoint is they get the season tickets for the boxes, for the box seats. They don't necessarily really care about the upper bowl. 
because that's not where you make a that's you make a fraction of your money. You want these suites. That's why if you again, I've never been, but I've seen pictures. You have been to Jerry World, the Cowboy Stadium. There are so many suites, so many of them. The question that people sometimes ask is, you know, they ask, hey, why are college football stadiums bigger than the NFL? It's because the NFL, they want the suites. The suites are more profitable. They are, I mean, infinitely more profitable, and that's what you want in order to make your money. The, the thing that I kind of maybe see, especially this is more of applying, it's not really going to apply to the Kraken, but it's going to apply to a different new team, and it's the Las Vegas Raiders. And I wonder what is going to happen to that because in the, in the NFL, with there only being 16 games, and eight home games, it really becomes, instead of being a sporting event, it becomes much more of an event. I mean, thank you. You don't tailgate a baseball game, but you do tailgate a football game. How much of that stadium is going to be overrun? Because if, you know, you and I say we're both big Cleveland Brown fans with Connor and Colin, it would be really easy to set up a weekend around the Browns playing in Las Vegas to also have a Vegas weekend. And I think that that's going to be super common for every fan base and i think that's really cool for the raiders but at the same time i wonder if that makes it difficult to bring in that las vegas community yeah yeah and you have to walk that line and i think you can balance them but you have to you have to decide how hard you're going to go after that local community no i agree i agree and it's gonna be really really cool and, and from a business perspective i think it's really fascinating how the Vegas thing, because I always thought, and I, maybe it was just a myth. Maybe it was just something someone told me once that it used to be that Las Vegas couldn't have pro sports teams because of the gambling. And I have no idea if that's true or not. It may have been back in the day. Obviously now it's not true. And especially now with gambling being legalized. Um, But it's just, it's fascinating because I, I would, again, Las Vegas isn't small. And contrary to what I have always thought, the part that is quote unquote Las Vegas is also really small. It's just like a mile strip. It's literally a strip. It's, I think it's like a mile long is where it really is. And that's such a small part of the city, even though it is a big part, but it's such a small area size of a city that has, I mean, I'm trying to look at the population. Um, I mean, the population of it is 2.7 million. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I've I haven't been to Vegas, but I've flown through there and over it. And you're right the the portion is actually very small. And when you see it in movies and whatnot, it looks humongous. But that just goes to show that that downtown, that tourist part, as much money as it brings in, as many millions and millions of people it brings in every year, you have a population there that if you can tap into and find consistent fandom, you're going to be doing right by your team. Yeah, and you're not gonna. I mean, you're not gonna be in LA. You're not gonna be in New York. Don't get me wrong. But you're you're not gonna be Kansas City. You're gonna be bigger than Kansas City. You're gonna be. A, and 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 again, the difference is it is. I would bet that the Las Vegas GDP just because those casinos bring in so much money. I mean, ungodly amounts of money that their economy would be bigger. They're allowed to do that. I mean, uh, I think that the Las Vegas Raiders is an excellent, excellent business opportunity. As far as fans, it kind of sucks seeing them leave Oakland. It really does. However, I think that they're, if done right, which is very hard to say and hard to do, I could see the Las Vegas Raiders becoming maybe the most uh, valuable franchise in all of sports. 
unfortunately, I was going to say talk baseball, but I mean, the question could almost be rephrased as do you want to talk the end of the baseball season? Because baseball. Yeah. It, it, uh, you know, it's kind of happening. I will see Manfred's doubled down on, you know, games will go on and whatnot, but it's, it's hard to imagine. And it kind of is that harsh reality of, all right, you get eight, 10 guys in a locker room that all have it. I mean, that's a third of your roster right there. What do you, I mean, what did, did he keep saying, I I don't know if he's used these words, but you need to have a critical mass that has it in order to really shut a team down. I don't know what that critical mass is. And I think they may left it intentionally vague. So they do have some wiggle room with it. And the thing that also, if he's saying mass, I'm just going to say, I don't know if he is. I don't know if he is, but, but that's he, kind of he's trying to say like a majority of the team or whatever. Well, five players isn't a majority of the team, but what if that's your pitching staff? It's your five starters that have it. <laughs> so it, it's truly a team by team. You can't just you can't just make it a numbers game and oh, if we're over half the team, then we're you know we're in trouble because it very well could be your starting rotation. And what do you do after that? Yeah, and exactly. And I know that he was talking when he did. He put there was a ten minute video I saw on the MLB Network, and but one of the things that he was talking about that really fascinated me, that gave them so much wiggle room, is they were talking about protocol, 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 and what they were basically saying. It goes, look, we have this protocol in place, and look, and the, but I, the gist of what I got is, look, look at the twenty nine other teams. It's working, so. That means that they broke protocol. So if we have this protocol in place, we can continue to get acceptance from outside sources, the CDC, the blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's on the Marlins. We're not going to topple this whole thing because they broke protocol. They'll be punished. There's going to be consequences. Um, You know, it just, I don't know what you do. Like, let's just say the Marlins now have to skip four games we're already doing 66 games in, or 60 games in 66 days. There's not a lot of wiggle room here. Yeah. What do you do with those made up games? What, what if like you're, I think we're lucky that right now it's the Orioles and the Marlins. Cause those are some of the awful teams. I mean, you, I went through and you could just throw out one team from each division, just throw it in the trash. Those are you'd be fine. You'd be fine. I mean, the Orioles, the Mariners, the Marlins, the Royals, because the Tigers are fine. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that pirates. I mean, there was just other ones, but but now you're dipping into the real teams, the Phillies and the Yankees. They have to postpone because they don't really know what's going on because you know they were in contact. Mm-hmm. So it's a domino effect, and I don't think that they're going to let this domino, the last domino fall, being the MLB has to like you know be on hold. But I also think that they had a potential to really mess this up. I mean, the, it begs a question. I bet that there is – I bet that there are in a certain area, I would think, let's just say you place everybody in Ohio. You put everybody in Ohio, and you put the entire NL and AL Central in, quote-unquote, Ohio. I see four stadiums you could play in, the Reds, the Cleveland, Dayton Dragons, and then the Columbus Clippers. Those four stadiums. If you probably play kind of game – Probably playing the Mud Hens as well. Mudheads, mudheads too. I totally forgot about the mudheads. That's five stadiums. There are ten teams in those two divisions. You just you you just go around that Ohio, and that's like the quasi bubble. You know, that's the central bubble because you know 
if they're only playing those teams anyway, why are you just kind of spreading it all out like that? It's just, it seems unnecessary. I feel like there's, and I, again, I do understand you still want to be playing it in these big stadiums because that's where they can, that's where the cameras know how to operate. They like, it's a well-oiled machine with those cameras in Yankee stadium, not a well-oiled machine in fifth third field in, in Toledo. So I do get that, but I just think that there were, there might've been, if the, if the goal really is to play baseball, there was a better way. There's the goal obviously was we want to play baseball while profitable. Unfortunately, the, the way that they're doing it now is probably the best option. Do you think that, do you think that the only way to play sports at this moment is in a bubble? Because it were, it's, the NBA is doing it. Um, the MLS, the NWSL, the NWSL did it. They're finished, and they they didn't have an issue. Do you think that a bubble is the only way to do it, or do you think do you think that travel screws this up when they're hitting so many cities? Because I think that makes it harder to keep track of everybody if if you're traveling. I just think that that is a real problem that's going on right now it's a morality problem and it's a it's a lot a legal problem is because unfortunately the reality of a situation can be look i need to open up because we i need to survive to open up however someone else is way better off they don't need to open up that could screw me and i don't know i have no idea what the laws say about it and i don't have the the vocabulary to read through the law at all not even close um <laughs> but i just think that that is so uncertain and it's just so weird i mean not everything going on with the whole COVID. i mean i mean i guess we, we never really need to figure we never really talked about COVID last time and i know some friends of ours uh, some friends of mine uh, they asked you know is this a baseball podcast they're like well we have you know talk about things going on and you know, once there's more things, we'll talk about them. And he goes, yeah, 2020 has been a breeze so far. I was like, <laughs> you know, I don't think we need another COVID podcast. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think. But no, go on. I was just going to say last time we just tried to stick to baseball, but now we're not really, current circumstances couldn't really allow us to just stick to baseball at the moment. They're, they're bleeding into each other so much, and we wanted it to be a fun, happy-go-lucky by the way, I got a text from my brother Tim today. Um, he says that if baseball goes down, that you win because Shane Bieber has a 21 Ks per nine. <laughs> so you know, I say Corey Kluber is undefined. Uh, that 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 prediction not going well. He's <laughs> shut down for four weeks. Yeah. Not going well. I mean, this season might not even last four weeks. Uh, that could very well be season-ending injury. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's. I hope that's. That's. Not Speaking of which, did you see that Justin Ver there was a, a report yesterday that Justin Verlander was out for the season, and that Justin Verlander tweeted out like, "This isn't right. This isn't accurate." <laughs> so I saw the report, but I didn't see him refute it. He, he, yeah, he sent out a tweet. He's like, "Yeah, this report about me being out it's not true. I have a forearm strain, <laughs> and I love. I, I mean, I, I cannot think of specific like times, but I know it's happened where players come out and they're like, yeah, this isn't true.'" I think that there's the Blue Jays one, I believe it is, and there was something along the lines where they, they announced a roster move, and then somebody responded with, says who? And they responded back with us, literally the team Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen that on a couple occasions. <laughs> I retweeted every single time. 
it's so funny. It's like, hey, what's your source? Me. It's part of, about me. Part of uh, part of me is just so I admire whoever's running the social to snap back like that. But the other part of me is like, who's replying to a team account asking what your source is? That's it's them. They are the team. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. like, how you reply to that. Like, is that that's past being a troll? It's got to be past being a troll. It's got to just bypass you on a level that I can't even comprehend. I can't even comprehend just literally reading anything on Twitter and being like, that's not true. I don't believe you. Like that's just, that, that was their first reaction is, I don't believe you. To be fair, that's what I feel like I think almost every time I read something on Twitter with how insane of a place Twitter is. But if you take two seconds to read somebody's username or see who posted it, or you take mm-hmm. five seconds to look at some of the comments to see if people are verifying it, then you don't look like an idiot and tweet at an official team account that has a million followers and ask <laughs> their sources. I I almost got duped today. That uh, it was someone said it was like the MLB. It was it had a sports center thing, all that. And then I was like, oh crap! And then I looked and I was like, oh, this isn't real. But like for a second, my heart dropped, and I'm like. Who in their God's name is the person doing this? What what is wrong with you, you sadistic pricks? Was it uh was it the Barry account? It wasn't Barry. It might have been again. Barry changes his name so often. I mean, he's got multiple accounts because earlier this this year I got bested by a, a different Barry account, and it was about Miles Garrett being traded. I got duped. Flat <laughs> out, I got duped. Yeah, um, Barry has quite a loyal following because. These like I don't I I will, like occasionally will see somebody retweet his tweet that he's like new account spread the word and what's amazing to me is like earlier like before the last couple months I would see only that happen occasionally so like you know whatever all the people reporting him for faking and impersonating like catches up to him they suspend his account he opens a new one but he's he's been doing it he's probably like past the dummy accounts that he had set up like the backups he's probably creating more and more because i've probably seen like 10 to 15 times that he's tweeted and people have retweeted new account and every time i just click on the account to see and every single one of them every single time has 50 to 60 thousand followers well what were you just saying about the a niche following i mean people love a niche following and that's exactly what it is is it's people there's a there's because at a certain point yeah it is funny like sometimes it is funny but then when i get when the second i get duped i don't like it anymore but <laughs> uh but like i get i part of me does get it part of me is that that guy that's like haha i got you like you know it's the guy oh made you look it's like yeah that kid's annoying but every now and again he'll make you laugh if he gets somebody else, I'm going to laugh at it. But if he gets me, I'm going to be like, yeah, that kid's done. Sucks. <laughs> done. Done forever. Never again will I laugh at this because he duped me. He got me. Well, you know what also sucks is the MLB's rule about starting extra innings with a runner on second base. Did we call it or did we call it? Um, word, for word for word. Word for word. For anyone listening – We'll play the clip of Mike Clevenger in a post-game interview. And for context, uh, the Indians were playing their second game of the season on Saturday. They went into extra innings against the Royals, and the Royals 
were the first beneficiaries of this runner on second rule where you start extra innings with a runner on second. Uh, the runner that they choose is whoever made the last out the inning before. Um, yes. Or what teams will most likely do in extra innings. Same thing they would do if somebody gets leads off of the base hit is they would just go with the pinch runner to get the speed. Yeah. But it was exactly what Ben and I called. I mean, it was they bunted the guy over, sacrifice mm-hmm. fly, got the run in, and and to be fair, the Indians started the very next inning with a runner on second. And they didn't get him in, and in the last two outs were Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez. And I did see somebody tweet, "Look, this rule sucks, but if your last two outs with a runner in scoring position are Lindor and Ramirez, and they can't get him in." you kind of deserve to lose. And so there's a counter argument and I can't pretend that there's not because that as much as I hate that rule, that's a pretty good one. But at the end of the day, the rule still sucks. And so, um, yeah, we're going to play that clip of Mike Clevenger and, you know, this is some pretty good vindication. Ben was texting me. It feels pretty good to be exactly right like this, but I don't think it's just Ben and I that were right about this. I think this is a lot and a lot of baseball fans that, feel the same way Clevenger did. Clevenger just had his team lose by this via this rule. And he's not going to be the last one that feels this way because anybody that might be on the fence in major league baseball, the second they lose with this rule, they're going to be really annoyed and they're going to be saying the same things that Clevenger is. So what are your thoughts on the new, uh, the new, the new rules? This isn't travel ball, man. This is a perfect game. You know how hard it is to get a runner on second base at the back end of any bullpen? How incredibly hard that is? And now all of a sudden you just get someone on second base with a guy like Karen Check on the mound? I'm, I'm not happy about it. I don't, I don't, I'm sure when other teams face the situation and this happens to them, you're going to get similar reactions. Yeah. I mean, Clevenger said it. I mean, I, I kind of said it. He threw in the part. I mean, we were saying how hard it is. He threw in the, another great point. Is Getting, like, on a back-end reliever guy, these guys' job, their entire job is to get three outs. That's it. They're not a starter who's got the stamina, blah, blah, blah. No, it's like, no, these guys, pound for pound, have the best stuff on the team. They have. I mean, I don't think in this league right now there's anybody that has better, more dominant stuff than Rolfus Chapman. I just don't think it exists. And there's a lot of – I'll even say mediocre bullpen guys that have better stuff than most starters. And and then just listen to this. Here's what happened in the Royals. They won this game in the extra innings without an at-bat. No at-bat. Ghost run on second, sack bunt, sacrifice fly, walk, thrown out, stealing. An at-bat did not occur, and they won the game. And, yeah, you know, my dad made the point, too, is guess what? The Indians could have done the same thing. And you're right. You're right. They could have. So I guess you want to say, okay, I have nothing to defend that. I just don't like this. It's an effort to speed up the game. And I just don't think that this is how you speed up the game because especially what they're saying is they're trying to speed up the game in order to acquire fans. I don't think speeding up the game acquires fans. If if your goal is, hey, we want to keep – fans we want to we want to say that guy that watches five innings we want to get him to watch the rest of the game because I think that is a lot of people if you say that I can get your point a little bit but I don't like it and I was just reading up even more about this rule and uh, it was a couple years ago when this kind of was 
trickling out because I believe it started in the World Baseball Classic and then it moved to the minor leagues. Rob Manfred came out and said, no, I don't think this will ever be used in the majors. And he, but based off the sound of it, he's like, he doesn't like it. However, you know, when you need to speed up these games, he's like, okay, we'll implement it. But I just don't see anybody who likes it. It's, again, clever. This isn't travel ball. This isn't Babe Ruth League. This is the major leagues. Like, let's cut it out with this stuff. I think, I, again, I've expressed it a bunch of times, and I think baseball is the most difficult sport in the world. Um, I think absolutely the most difficult major sport in the world. But squaring up a 95-mile-per-hour-plus ball with a rounded bat is unbelievably difficult. And even if you're not going to get on base via a single or a base hit, working a walk is almost just as hard to work a count and successfully get your way on base. And that's the name of the game is getting on base. And it is so unbelievably difficult to do. And just like Clevenger said, almost even more so sometimes against relievers. And mm-hmm. you're going to put, you're going to start with a guy on second base. The, the hardest part of the game getting on base is done for you and you will start with it. And, and not only done for you, you're on second. It's 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 one thing to get the first. Okay, cool. But again, Clevenger even emphasizes. He goes, "Do you know how hard it is to get to second base off of one of these relievers?" And he said the guy's name. I forget the guy's name. It ended in a check. He goes, "He's that." He's like, "You know what? That's right. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I bet a pretty small percentage of guys that he's faced gets a second base. Bet a really small percentage. It's not needed." And yeah. it's here's the thing is you can make the argument that it's going to speed up games because as we've seen, it will. It does. It does. That's, that's what's not needed. You need to get the game mm-hmm. in front of more people, not change the game itself. And what they're doing is adding a rule that completely takes the wind out of the sails of an extra innings ball game. Because when yeah. you're the runner on second, it doesn't feel earned. And quite literally, the run is unearned. In a stat book, the run is. down is unearned. And so the entire point of what makes extra innings so special is that you've been playing for nine innings, and now you've got to work and get people on base in extra innings. You're playing more baseball, and you're getting more tired, and that's what makes it special. When you're mm-hmm. getting to that point and the tension rises and you have got to get a runner in, that's what makes extra innings special and you're taking it away. And I just think it, it's, it's just like the ultimate, what do you, what do you want to call it? Like anticlimactic win to get it. Yeah. Way. Because it's not because- as earned. And you, if you want to speed up the game, then yeah, you're going to do it if that's your lone goal. But if you want to do it and you want to do it under the guise of, we want to get more people, we want to make it more exciting. That's absolutely fundamentally not going to make the game more exciting. No, I get it. Because there's other ways that I do agree with speeding up the game. I think the pitch clock's not a bad idea. I used to watch Jose Valverde. And this is a true story. Back in, I want to say, 2013, 2012, there was a game against the Yankees. Jose Valverde answers the game. My dad and I, we order a pizza, okay? 45 minutes later, pizza arrives. He's faced four batters. Like, that's what Jose Valverde was. I mean, he'd pitch. He'd step off the mound for a full minute. 
make sure his shirt. I mean, that's a problem. You need to get that stuff out of the game. I mean, because that that stuff did make it a little unwatchable. I will tell you that again. You should get through it a little quicker than that. And I so that I don't. I, it's grown on me. But there's just other things. I don't see the point. I don't see the point in wanting to quickly wrap up an extra inning game when the walk off hit is the most exciting play in all of baseball. Um, I don't know. I don't like it. It felt really cool and felt really good to be vindicated. And especially to be vindicated, again, word for word. Not only word for word, but immediately. The first time that it yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah. It was, that was one where I was like, okay, all right, maybe I, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do this whole analysis thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, go, on, also I mean, wanted- go on. Go on. No, you oh, I was going to say, I mean, going, I mean, I had, no, going next into a whole analysis thing. The Daniel Bard story is awesome. He is awesome. For for those of you who don't know, Daniel Bard is a pitcher for um, for now the Rockies, and he pitched a couple days ago for the first time since May twenty seventh, I believe twenty thirteen. Um, and to put that in a little perspective, and to see how long ago that was, Nolan Arenado. Seven-time Gold Glove winner, five-time All-Star, made his major league debut the next day. So an entire Nolan Arenado career has been in between these starts. And what happened with him is he did get a little – Jeremy has read up a little bit more, but essentially he did have some injuries. He was a solid player. And then he got the yips. And the yips crippled him. And uh, you might – the yips are people you can remember. Baseball people have been played with the yips for years. I mean, Rick Ankeel, Chuck Knobloch, uh, the yips are a real thing. Uh, and especially in baseball, just because of, in theory, how easy it is, throw a ball, hit a ball. Pretty easy. Throw it over. John Lester had the problem. He couldn't throw the ball over to first. And I believe I was listening to Trevor Bauer, and he was saying, yeah, that's a common thing. A lot of guys have a little bit of trouble just because they're used to getting set and then going. And it's just you do it a thousand, two thousand times, and now when you mess up that routine, it gets a little challenging. Uh, but Jeremy, you know, you read up a lot more about Bard than I did, so I'm going to let you, you know, take it from here. Yeah, I mean, I want to start by saying that the yips are a real thing. I believe I had them for for a while in college when I was pitching, and it sucks because you go out there and you warm up and you feel totally fine, and then you just something just hits and you just can't hit a strike zone. You can't like, sometimes you can't even hit your partner in the chest. You're like, what the hell is going on? I feel fine mentally. I feel everything. I just am not throwing it. And it's frustrating. And to get it at the major league level, especially when you're such a a promising player like he was, I mean, he came out of UNC and he was a first round pick, first round pick. And it sucks. It's terrible. And so Bard, turned to try to fix it through hypnosis which is a common thing that pro players will do when they when they think they have the yips which is a hilarious sentence to say (laughs) it's it's wild there's no doubt about it and he um i think he also did meditation um but what struck me is that he got it so bad that he couldn't play catch with his kids he couldn't even hit his kids in the chest when he's throwing and, and that's crazy. Like, that is such a deep and serious 
case of the yips. And mm-hmm. so, it is. I mean, if you look at like some of these, some of these stats, he was looking really good for Boston. Um, in 2010, he goes out there. He's got a 1.93 ERA out of the bullpen, which 74 innings pitched. Uh, mm-hmm. And the year before, when he was up with the Red Sox, 3.65 through 49 and a third. And the year after that, he's got a 3.33 and 73 innings. That's not bad at all. And after that, no, he was solid. He he had the next year he pitched 60 innings. He had a 6.22, and then he gets sent down. He's in AAA. He has a 7.03. Now he goes down all the way to literally rookie ball, and he has a mm-hmm. 7.46. He makes his way back up, or I should say maybe he started the year the next year. He pitched one inning at a 9 ERA because he, he gave up a run. Um, then he goes all the way down to rookie ball, and he can't, he can't do it. He can't play. He, had, he pitched 12 innings in double a and this is a first round pick after he had already been up in the majors for a couple years pitches 12 innings in double a and gives up 13 hits walks 17 guys and it's just it's terrible it's terrible to see that and so he bounces around a little bit and the rockies took a chance on him a couple years later and and the last time he played pro ball was in 2017 and so i can't remember what the article said he was doing since then um, you made it, imagine staying in shape, working on the yips, still doing some pro workouts. Um, but the thing that struck me and the thing that I think everybody needs to realize is that nobody gave him this chance as a feel good story because this guy was all but out of baseball. Like when you can't mm-hmm. even touch your kids and throw a, and give them a good throw, it's bad. And there's no way that a team will be giving you a chance. And so the Rockies didn't do this as some sort of feel-good story. He, he's been out of baseball for three years. They picked him up because he showed that he was effective again. He was throwing bullpens. He was doing pro workouts. And I watched him pitch, and I didn't know how hard he threw. He was up at 90. He throws gas. Yeah, he was up 95, 98, and he looked awesome. His stuff looked so good. He, almost, he has a rising fastball. It gives off mm-hmm. the same look that Kimbrell's did, Craig Kimbrell. Not as mm-hmm. much rise because his was disgusting, but it gives off that type of look. It's a very, very good fastball. And um, I was just super glad to see it. And it's an awesome story. And I, I read this thing a couple months ago. That's when I heard about him the first time. I think I probably DM'd it to you or texted it to you. Yeah, I think you did. A couple months back um, is when I heard about him for the first time. And so he was in the news for some reason. He, he must have been getting some tryouts and somebody wanted to pick it up as a human interest story, but the tryouts are over. He made a team. Obviously it remains to be seen because he just pitched one inning or one in a third. Um, but the fact is, is that he went out there on a major league mound again, not just a major league mound. Cause as we talked about, he couldn't even do it in rookie ball and he went out on a major league mound again and he was effective and he looked good and he deserves he 20, 20 of 25 or strikes. He absolutely deserves it. Yes. And you're saying you don't know what he was doing for those three years that are missing. Well, he's got a four-year-old son, a two-year-old son, and an eight-month-old daughter. Uh, and he says he, he credits his wife for sticking with him. And uh, I, mean, I bet I would bet that having the kids kind of helped him out a little bit as well. I mean, just kind of being able to ground himself. But he said that, I mean, his anxiety was so bad. That his, you know, the yips were so 
bad, again, you said he couldn't hit his kids in the chest. He couldn't do anything. I mean, it reminded me so much of Rick Ankeel. I mean, Rick Ankeel was a top, top prospect, pitching prospect. And then he had, I mean, a memorable meltdown in the in the uh, NLCS against the Mets where he threw 20 pitches. Five of them went directly over the, the pitcher or the catcher. I mean, he it was bad. And he, I, I remember listening to an interview that he did and I'm trying to remember, but he also, he was like, yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's the most soul crushing thing. Cause you know, you can do this thing and not only can you do this thing, but I'm one of the best in the world at it, but my body just won't let me do it. And I know that Ankeels was a kind of also a matter of his elbow was injured and that was part of it. And then he had trouble coming back, but, I mean, I love Rick Ankeel. He still has some of the best uh, outfield throws that uh, I've ever seen. And I don't know, the yips are just fascinating because I had them. And I didn't play nearly the level that you did, Jeremy. But I think, Jeremy, you saw my yips. As a catcher, I I couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. Like, I couldn't do it. I never hit him in the chest, never threw it hard. I have no idea what it was, but I just couldn't do it. And it's something that, again, I can do. Um, and it's just bizarre. It's bizarre that just thinking about it and you just, you think so hard about it and you're like, this isn't easy. And the yips are just so hard to explain because one, they have a ridiculous name Two, It's, it's just, how do you explain? I can't throw the ball back to the pitcher, but you're going to watch me throw a dart down to second base. It, it just doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, it, it's something that, I mean, in a major league or in anybody who reaches the, the levels of professional in baseball, if you're a pitcher, I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of throws in your arm. And you've got to sound, like you said, it's got a silly name, but you've got to sound even more ridiculous trying to explain it to a non-baseball player that you can't throw the ball over the plate or you can't throw the ball to your kids and throw it and throw a good throw to them. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? You, Mm -hmm. you play, you were a first round draft pick. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? You can't throw the ball. It's almost unfathomable for somebody that is either outside of the game. Or I think for a lot of people inside the game, they still might not get it entirely unless they've had them. And it's extremely just, it's a, it's a pure, like, anomaly is what it is. Yes. Unbelievable. And, and Daniel Bard, um, good for him for getting back from it. But Rick and Keel, Great for him. Rick and Keel, like you said, he had a memorable meltdown. And Bard's was more of one where he didn't melt he down. Faded it. He faded into oblivion. Yes, he faded. Um, Rick and Keel benefited hugely from the fact that he's a freak athlete and mm-hmm. could still hit. And he was able to have a career and keep his career going as a position player. Um, but not everybody's lucky. And for every uh, Rick Ankeel, I mean, he's probably a, an exception for getting able to, being able to turn into a position player. But for every mm-hmm. guard that makes it, I mean, you've got so many minor leaguers who develop the yips and just can't figure it out. And when you're in the minor leagues and you don't have that first-round draft pick money invested in you, you're tossed out. If you can't be, yeah. can't be throwing strikes in single A and you're a 27th round draft pick, that leash is pretty short. But if you're a first round draft pick, the Red Sox put up with him and just yeah. tried with him for a long time until they parted ways. But 
you know, for every Daniel Bard success story, there's a lot of people that don't get that journey back, but we won't go into that because we're celebrating Daniel Bard and he's, yeah. he's a feel good story and it's, it's awesome. I, I, yeah. And it's great to watch. And it's one of those things that it's why baseball is so awesome. It's because I don't know if there is another sport that you, you could have a seven year gap between playing. It's just, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. It's incredible that he's 35 and essentially making a major league debut again. Uh, it must be so fun for him because he made his major league debut and he did a lot. He did all of his pitching. His entire baseball career was before he had kids. And now he's got the kids and his life is completely different. And it's not like he had the growth in between. It was, it's a blackness in between. And now he's got this. Good for him. I mean, good for him. Now, I, tra- I mean, transitioning, I mean, from a light, a light note to an even lighter note. Did you see that uh, the Pirates manager? yelling with the uh the umpire i did i I appreciate um it was almost like they were starting to walk towards each other and you you know how the manager and the umpire get that speed walk going well the umpire because mm-hmm. he knows he's about to get he's about to get it the umpire gets mm-hmm. that speed walk, or the coach gets that speed walk going and um it's almost like they both like paused for a second <laughs> put them on and carry it on just like it's any other argument Yes, because I didn't, as I had to watch the second video, I didn't realize that the manager didn't get thrown out. It was a, a guy on the other side, the guy on, you know, in the, the players' bleachers, they were calling it, that got thrown out. And so the, the manager's like, whoa, 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 calm down here. And then they had the argument. The argument, like, with the face mask up, the umpire's, one of his strings broke, so he's holding it up with his hand. And, I mean, it was just hysterical. It's so funny because he probably didn't yell. Like, I think it was the Holland. I, think, I want to see Derek Holland, but I'm not positive on the first name. That he probably didn't even say, oh, come on. Because he said, oh, come on. And then the umpire said, hey, knock it off. And then the guy responded with something, and then he got thrown out. He probably didn't say, oh, come on, that loud. But you hear everything. I was watching the opening day, Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. And they were talking about in one of the simulated games that uh, one of the hitting coach was in the dugout talking pretty quietly to the, like the hitter on the deck or hitter in the hole or something. And he said pretty quietly, hey, you know, he goes, hey, Max's slider's a little flat. Watch out for that today. And Max, uh, Max stepped off the mound and yelled at him as, as Max Scherzer does. I know my, I know my slider's a little flat, Greg. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love and, and they hear everything, and then and that's what it is. Is it because you're in? I mean, because they were saying it's like high school, but high school you're not playing in a stadium that echoes everything, and that's the difference. Is these guys are playing with nothing? They're playing the same game that we played in high school in front of zero fans with nobody talking. You can hear everything on the other side. It must be fascinating for them. Yeah, I mean, I equate it to. A game of pickup basketball at the rec, you know, like you hear everything, and it's and you hear everybody talking to each other. You hear every f bomb when somebody misses a shot. Um, Jock Peterson, I think I sent you that video too. He, I play the, I might play the clip, but he, uh, he rolls over on a ground ball before he even takes a step out of the batter's box. He drops an f bomb, and as he crosses first. When he gets thrown out, he drops another one even louder. And part of me is thinking, like, because usually broadcasts operate on a little bit of a delay so that they can account for that. Um, but part of me is thinking, like, 
maybe the guy, maybe they didn't hear him coming out of the batter's box say that, but it's still pretty clear. And if you heard it, I don't know why you wouldn't get ready because when he crossed first base, it was even more. And of course, the broadcasters do what every broadcaster does when there's an audible, you know, swear word coming through that does, you know, makes it through the cracks. All of them be like, and you can see him expressing his frustration. <laughs> that, that, that's the, my favorite thing that broadcasters do when they look at each other like, like, oh, the audience definitely heard that one. Emotions are running high. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, what? Well, I love the ones where they go, and I'd like to apologize to any younger fans out there. <laughs> I would absolutely, I would, I would think it 100% looks better if they're like, and you can tell the emotion, but I, I just really like it when the when the broadcaster is just without words and just can only mutter, I'd like to apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> for, for the language being expressed here. <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny. And, and that's what I, I haven't really watched much of the NBA. But the NBA, there's so much. There's so much profanity. And they're going to pick up on everything. I know they said that, I think they said they're, ta- they're releasing those on a five-second delay. I mean, that is, it's, it's got to be the guy that has his button on the, the bleep button. I mean, he's got to have the strongest index finger in the country. <laughs> Unbelievable reflexes. I think just in general from having played, like obviously I didn't play basketball at a high level, but you don't even have to play at a high level to know basketball is one that it's just easy to swear when you're playing because you're going to miss a sh- like you're shooting you know, on every end of the floor, there's so many shots going up. There's so many rebounds. I feel like in baseball, things build up to the actual event. It's, very, it's a very anaerobic sport. And so mm-hmm. the, when there's a rollover that happens or you just get under one and it's right down the middle, you pop it up, like that's when the swearing's going to happen. But there's so much more, I feel like, opportunity, or at least it happens all more in succession when you're playing basketball just because there's there's always some shot going up there's always people boxing each other out there's always a foul happening and yeah it's so easy to drop f-bombs and be muttering at yourself down the court and it's just especially if you're in a tiny little arena mm-hmm. that, that audio is bouncing around and it's not too hard to uh to hear no, I agree. I agree. And it's so funny. And can you offer any insight? Because you've been in the truck. I don't know if you've been in the audio truck, but you've been in the truck and where they do the, I know you did the ESPN graphic work for college football. Is that where the audio truck is? Is that where the guy is with the, with the mute button? And how does that work to your knowledge? So the guys in the truck do swear a lot because they're, it's very like, fast paced thing but in terms of hearing players and hearing the delay which is i think what you were asking yeah um, i'm talking about the guy that the, the sound operator for the broadcast they, I, I don't know if he's in is he in the truck is he next to the announcers where is because somebody is obviously putting you know pressing that mute button i don't know if you know where that guy is or if you if you have been around that guy what's i mean what is what goes into that I don't know with my profession if I should know where that guy is set up, but I haven't been in the same truck with him. I've been in the truck as the guy that I'm feeding him stats and interesting things, interesting stats and figures and trends with throughout the game. 
he's telling the guy to type them up on a graphic and then he's communicating with the producer of when to get the camera on the person they're going to show a graphic for. And then that guy's putting the graphic on the screen. Um, so I've been on like the more visual end, but I, okay. All right. That makes sense. Really cool to sit and hear the audio producing as well. I would want to do that. I think going and watching, just being able, I don't know, they, obviously they're probably not in the same spot, just going to see a production of it and just being, you know, kind of seeing how the sausage is made, if you will. I mean, I think that would be like pretty cool because I just guarantee that there are so many, so many things that happen during a simple Mac uh, football game mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, I didn't eat, like, I guess, because I, I've had so many times with just hearing about your work that I guess in this is going to sound really dumb, just kind of being like, oh, I guess I didn't realize that that was somebody's job to do. Like, I, and again, like somebody had to look up and somebody had to tell somebody that this, that, like, oh, I guess that is somebody's job to like keep track of that stuff. Huh, I guess that's right. And it's just with you, it's happened so many times with what you've done. Yeah, and it, and it really is a simple thing. I mean, in my office, it's really just, it comes down to like, you know, myself and like one or two other people that might be free for the football game. And if you want to go work in the truck and ESPN or Fox sports or whoever will pay you hundred plus bucks for the game, just to sit in there and feed them a couple stats. And it's really cool. But like you said, I, I mean, shoot, I never did that at Miami, which is maybe the crew. I I would assume the production crew that comes for Mac games is smaller but when they come for big 12 games, it's such a bigger production that mm. they need to outsource that extra person. That's, and there's actually a couple people sometimes um, no. from our office that do it. It's usually like two people. Um, one will be doing graphic stats and somebody else will be feeding the broadcasters stats as well. And I've done that standing next to the broadcasters and, and feeding them interesting notes that I get from the truck or whatever. Um, mm. But again, we didn't do that in Miami. We didn't, we never, which is surprising because you would think that that's the first thing that they would have student interns do is go sit in the truck. And, and if, if ESPN needed us to, but we never did. And so when I got to tech mm. and they were like, Hey, you want to work for ESPN for this game? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And of course I, I, do. And I went and stepped foot in the truck and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I obviously, you know, I'm, I obviously wouldn't want to be in the truck for every single game, but doing it a couple times a season is, is, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I gave the guy a stat and I'm like, Hey, our quarterback is seven for his last nine, um, for, you know, whatever, 112 yards. Uh, and the guy like is yelling into his mic and they're always pissed too, because somebody messed up a camera angle and he had a really good stat. And they were about to put the graphic up, but the camera people didn't do it quick enough. And so now the next play happened and it's like, shit, like You're gone. Yeah. yeah Counted on the desk. But I thought it was the coolest thing ever where, um, I was like, Hey, our quarterback's seven for his last nine for 110 yards. And the guy's like, dude, that's good. All right. And he leans into his, his, uh, earpiece and he's like, put the camera on number seven. And then as he's doing that, the graphics guy is sitting at the, at the, whatever you want to call it, the The desk, whatever. And, um, he's sitting there, he's typing the graphic up. He pulls the guy's headshot up and then he says, all right, put it on seven. It's going up at three, two, puts it on camp, puts it on our player. 
guy flashes the graphic up. It's up for like four seconds. It goes away. The next play starts. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's cool. So cool. That is really I thought, cool. I thought it was so cool. Um, but like you said, I would have never guessed that. I, w- I mean, it's not even like now that I know that position exists, it makes sense. But yeah. I would, oh, yeah. yeah. That, that was a thing before. I never thought about it. I guess, and I guess, I guess, I again, I never thought about it. Maybe I would have been like, like "That just happens." I don't know. It was something. that was like, "No, that just happens." That's not somebody's job. It's like, "Oh, you can just put that up at any time. What does it matter?" And it goes, "Oh yeah, but if it's in one play, then he's seven for ten, and that's not as impressive." Oh yeah, I guess that's right. You know, and it's just because I remember when we were at the All Star game, you were telling me because they brought in all those trucks for the home run derby, and when I knew were telling me about them, I was just like. Like half the time, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't even listening because I was thinking, like, what other other jobs? What other things are, are also somebody's job? Yeah. It's like, do things just not magically happen? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. And when you finally like see, and again, I bet you I don't even know half of it because, and I, you know, maybe that's something I should sit down with the people that work in our broadcast department and you know, pick their brain about it. But I guarantee you, I don't know the half of, of the rest of it when you have a major event like that. And there's, you know, for that home run derby, like you said, um, so for anybody listening, we watched the home run derby last year in Cleveland with our friends, Connor and Colin, and we were downtown. Colin eventually went in cause he had a ticket, but the rest of us and him before he went in, were just chilling in a bar right across the street from the stadium. Like you can see inside the stadium from the bar. You heard heard everything. Yeah, we're at this giant, on this giant patio, hanging out, and right next to this patio was an empty lot, and I mean, there were probably, what would you say, 20 trailers there? Yeah, 15, 20 trailers. Oh, yeah, so many. And again, like, um, the reason there's so many is because there's multiple networks covering it, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's like, Wow. There's like when there's a Texas Tech football game, there's probably two, and there were 20 at this. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on in half these trucks. Like, I know there's multiple networks, but you know, there are so many camera feeds, there are so many things going on in the production of a home run derby, so many more than any other normal sporting event, especially a home run derby. Because you got oh, yeah, you got cameramen sitting on the field next to the players on the sidelines or, you know, in foul territory where they're sitting there with their kids and you got a player, you got cameramen sitting on the fields, walking right up to the batter and standing like behind the batter's box and stuff. Like um, there are so many more TV feeds, but it was still fascinating to just see like, (laughs) you got the stadium, you got the bar and right next to us, there's just 20 TV trucks packed right there. It was like ESPN Fox sports late. I mean, just, proudly set on the side and these are like, like nice trucks and again when you're going with the number of camera angles i guess i didn't realize it either because and i, I don't really know this i guess i really haven't watched many rain delayed games but when the yankees played the, the nationals the scherzer and cole game there was right before it got rained and poured and delayed there was lightning so they said that like yeah well they announced like yeah we're gonna have to send some of our camera operators on underneath and we're not gonna have as many camera angles I don't know if they if it's a normal game with fans. Do the do they do that? I don't know. But then after that, I started like kind of paying attention. I go, oh, there there aren't that many camera angles now. There was one where they like they had the hit and it was right down the line and it was like a really good hit. And 
I, I normally you get the camera angle where you see it, it zooms in on the ball, and then when the guy gets it, it zooms out. They didn't have that. They had the, the view you got was the one was basically the camera behind the plate, and then it was a wide angle, and you just saw it go to the right. And you're, I remember thinking, it was like, that's not the right camera angle. Why did they use it? And go, oh, that might they might have only four cameras right now, and they don't have the good one yet. Oh yeah, they're one hundred percent not full staffed, and that's tough. But it's the reality. But you're right. Like, oh yeah. What's important about your point is that you've become so everybody's become so accustomed to just how many cameras are at any sporting event that a base hit down the line and it switches to another camera, you instantly it like hits your brain. Mm-hmm. That's not the camera angle that they usually use. Like that looks exactly because there's always a camera there for that. And we're used to having, you know, almost every angle conceivable covered at a sporting event. And you always know like when a quarterback drops back and he's unloading a Hail Mary, you know what that camera angle is going to look like. You can picture that play. And when there's a base hit ripped down the line, like when it's not there like that, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like it hits you immediately because it already yes. it's instantly weird. Yes. No, I agree. And that's just something, again, we could talk about a lot. Of it. Maybe on a different episode, you can go in on your time. You spent two summers with the Toledo Mudheads, and you could go in on a lot of that because. I mean, all of that, the production level of the Toledo Mud Hands, while being it's you know awesome, it's not major league. And that's just something that you probably could speak of. Um, you know, as far as this week goes, I hope we continue to have baseball. This weekend was awesome. It felt so good to sit on the couch at 7 p.m. and have something to watch that I didn't have to plug into Hulu or I didn't have to plug into Netflix and just be able to kind of, put my phone down and just be like, I'm going to enjoy this. And I don't know what's going to happen because I can't Google what's the result of this game. What, Cause you could I do that way too many times with Hulu or Netflix. What's the result of this? I don't, I don't care about the 44 minutes. Just tell me. And it felt great. I hope we still have it. I know this week is when things start to really kick up next weekend is when the NBA starts. I believe training cancels started. The NHL have started. Hopefully baseball continues. Uh, it's going to be a good week, and it was a great past weekend. Uh, again, I want to give a few shout-outs to some people. Will Drugalis, uh, he did awesome. He shared some of our stuff on uh, social media, made some comments, gave some suggestions. It was awesome hearing from everybody, anybody that gave suggestions. Uh, Nico Infanto as well, he posted some things. Uh, anybody that gave suggestions or feedback in general or even just came up and you know sent a text that was continuing a conversation that Jeremy and I had on it saying I loved your point about this I disagree with your point I loved it I loved every second because you know I I think I might speak for Jeremy too you guys don't have to agree with us that's fine we knew Jeremy and I don't agree on everything but that's what makes it awesome is we're just talking and uh you know thanks for listening